Hey, and welcome to The Big Bear. It is episode 12. All kinds to get into today as the offseason just uh, rolls, crawls along, I guess. You know, shock of shocks. We're going to hit on Bertuzzi a bit. Sweeney, of course. Uh, there's been some recent signings. I got something to say about pizza. Lots to uh, lots to talk about. Plus, I'm going to talk out uh, some toxic fans and not to call them out and to attack them, but to talk about those kinds of fans because they're the kinds of fans that are always going to exist. And on and on and on, I'll have more to say, I'm sure. I'm Jay Pike. The Baked Bear is presented in partnership with the Black and Gold Productions, LLC. You can find me on Twitter at my underscore Bruins and the podcast itself at The Baked Bear Pod. And I'm on threads now. If I can help uh, cost Elon Musk a few million dollars or billion dollars, that's an absurd thing to, uh, to to get to say. If I can help cost a guy some billions of dollars. Anyway, if it helps his downfall, uh, I'm happy to hop on threads. You can find me there at my underscore Bruins underscore. And the podcast itself, the same as Twitter, at The Baked Bear Pod. Love to hear what you're thinking and feeling so we can talk it out. You can also uh, shoot me an email, bakedbearpod at gmail.com. And if you'd be so kind as to rate, review, subscribe, follow, like, love. I'm not sure what uh, other things are being asked for at this point, but if you could do any of that for me, that'd be lovely. Thank you. A few quick hits. I uh, wanted to talk about a Bertuzzi quote that got out it wasn't really the quote that made the rounds but the uh kind of something the meaning of the quote kind of got around more than that and it essentially said uh it was Bert saying that Toronto is closer to being a contender right now than Boston is I he's not wrong right how many Bruins fans have Boston or are expecting Boston to be ahead of Toronto in the Atlantic standings at the end of the year next year I don't think many of us see it that way you know we understand that we're on our way down a little bit for this year and they uh may well we'll see if they they have anyone who can stop the puck but they've you know put some pieces in where we've really had to take pieces out so for me it, it definitely wasn't a big deal but what was really interesting was how many of the fans reacted like fans who had sworn their undying love to Bertuzzi they turned on him like that it was amazing honestly I was impressed I was like see the spoke to be is more important than any of these guys going around that's how that that's how you know I do my fandom right like I do try not to get attached to guys too much and like if a guy leaves like I'm gonna I'm glad for Hall Hall's a perfect example loved him absolutely loved him didn't want to lose him but he's in Chicago now so yeah that's that's cool if, if he succeeds that's great but if it's him or us it's always going to be spoke to be so I just I uh, I enjoyed that I thought that loyalty was fun to see um and actually the Sweeney haters I don't know if they took a little gut punch I'm sure they didn't learn anything from it mind you but when the news got out of course that the uh, one-year deal like Bertuzzi got with Toronto was never an option with Boston right like so many fans build up hate based on assumptions that they make but then these assumptions they don't come to fruition but the fan doesn't drop the hate and the frustration because they've already lived with it 
It doesn't just disappear. That is a thing that's been built in and it's been built on top of, you know, hate and frustration that was there before. And that stuff is hard to shake off. So you've put it in yourself before you have that reason to because of those assumptions. And that's the kind of thing we're going to talk out a little bit later. Uh, Ian Mitchell went to arbitration and then signed the vet minimum. It was kind of interesting. Um, you know, maybe it was just over the one-way contract. I'm not sure, but uh, it's kind of funny to see. Anyway, uh, love to see uh, McLaughlin sign uh, as well, or McLaughlin. But anyway, uh, he's in for a couple more years, and that's great to see. Uh, pretty good chance we're going to see a bunch of him this year, actually, with the big team. So, um, or at least that is what I've heard on other uh, podcasts and seen people uh, saying on Twitter as well. Swayman and Freddie have their arbitration meetings coming up. One on the 30th or 31st and one on the 1st, I think. Something like that. Anyway, they're both at the end of the month. And uh, oh, they could sign before that. That'd be great. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Because these contracts, depending on them, Sweeney might actually have to make some moves and personally I'd rather not but then I'm like hmm unless it's Forbert need to shed a little bit of money to pay Jeremy Swayman an extra 500,000 yeah that's the contract so it kind of made me think hmm arbitration could be good arbitration I think generally goes in favor of the player gotta make a move uh oh no more Forbert. Now we'll have to wait and see. Uh, no, there's been a lot of rain this summer, but it finally fucked off long enough last week for me to get my barbecue pizza oven out. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen them. Probably you have the pizza ovens that just sit right on top of the grill of your barbecue. And then you, when you put your barbecue on high, the pizza oven, the stones, they heat up over 800 degrees. So you can cook your pizza and bake your pizza like they did with the stone ovens how pizza's meant to be with the bubbles and the char and oh it's really incredible um so i was very excited to get them out uh i put a few pics on social medias if you're pizza oven curious maybe go have a peek uh they're honestly not that pricey either so um really great if you're uh, into making your own pizza and barbecuing and doing it all at once I am loving the designs for the social media posts coming from uh, the Bruins. And it's going to be great all year. I've always loved the brown with the, I don't know what kind of yellow to even call it, that pale yellow. It's just, there's, I've always liked that. I've, I've got a sweater that kind of is of that old 30s kind of look. Uh, and it's far too heavy for me to ever have worn it. It just hangs out in my closet but uh i've always loved it like it's uh, a jersey i love um which ties into something from the short shift podcast um the guys there were talking thomas asked uh asked the guys which of the centennial jerseys do you think you'd want and with which current bruin on the jersey and i loved that question because it tied right into the social media posts because oddly enough as much as I love the social media stuff right now with the with the you know the shades of brown and yellow and um, it I love that still for me if I if if I end up 
getting a jersey. It'll be the one with uh, from like '88. I just that's the jersey. That's the logo that I grew up with. That's the logo you know that the Bruins had when I was a kid and first became a Bruins fan. The jersey I watched Andy Moog and Cam Neely and Ray Bork and Glenn Wesley and Don Sweeney and Ken Hodge and Reggie Lemelin and Adam Oates and Craig Janney and all the amazing boys. So that's the one I'm definitely going to want. Thinking about which player I'd wanted in was kind of is a, a deeper thought though when I'm thinking of like right now who would I get because if if they do these jerseys in throwback like a Moog and Oats these would be probably the real direction I would go but if you want a modern player on it it was a lot more thought for me because there were a lot of guys I'm like I could have seen like imagine Marchand at that time you think he's a pest today you put him in uh, 88 on one of those Bruins teams he would have he, he might have been the difference, actually, and helped us get past Gretzky. Could have uh, really taken Gretzky out of his game. And then, in the you know, four, four or five years later, he could have uh, taken Lemieux out of his. But, you know, so Marchand's an option. I mean, Bergeron is, uh, he's, you know, cross-generational. He's an all-timer. So Bergeron can work in any generation. Uh, and then the Moog fan in me is like, well, Allmark is 35. So it'd kind of be like, getting my cake and eating it too just it's not my favorite cake it's like cake i really like it's like you come out and you bring double chocolate and it's like oh this is awesome i love double chocolate but if you had like carrot cake with some really good cream cheese frosting like i'm not allowed to have that one but you know what this double chocolate's delicious so uh i'm honestly not sure but marchand is where i would lean uh on that marchand in an 88 that's where uh, I'm going to make that call now. Oh, and this episode is brought to us by a beautiful new strain, a hybrid called Purple Dream. I think I mentioned it last episode. Uh, I saved some more for this one because it's just a lovely, calming, easy to remain social, easy to have a conversation. It's just a wonderful, calming, but still energizing, lifting sort of hybrid so it's a really nice one for podcasting oh when i was talking social media i should have mentioned this um the philadelphia flyers social media uh person who who was very very disrespectful to the media accidentally live during a zoom that our you know former bruins legend garnet hathaway was involved in and the social media person was heard saying something something like how many fucking times is she gonna ask this question and it was a perfectly good question asking hathaway what drew him to philadelphia like this is a question every reporter is going to want an answer to this is a good kind of question but the social media person obviously felt they had heard it too many times and and voiced that accidentally to everyone so everyone's going after this person's head for fucking up and uh i guess that's fair i mean we all make mistakes because i wonder is it the person like is that one individual the problem or is there a cultural problem philly and its fans lean pretty hard into how nasty and mean they are and so when their social media person is an asshole this doesn't seem shocking to me
So I wonder, you know, I know Keith Jones handled it and handled it quickly, but I wonder if there's a bigger picture culturally in their, uh, on, on, you know, on that side of their franchise. And I say this coming from a, yeah, I'm a Washington Commanders fan, formerly the Washington football team, formerly the Washington Redskins. Um, and in, well, eight days, uh, our owner, Dan Snyder, will finally uh, not be the owner of our team anymore. But he led an incredibly toxic, brutal, boys club, frat club culture in the business of running the Washington franchise. And so when somebody screwed up and made mistakes and was an asshole and they worked for Washington, it was like, well, yeah, I mean, that's the culture there. Of course, that's what this person would be like. So I just wonder if uh, Phillies found it in found itself in a situation like that. And so, you know, we attack the one person when they might just be a tiny part of the problem, right? They're more the symptom than the problem. But uh, obviously, that's pure speculation. But just my experiences, my fandom, you know, I like we see everything through our own lenses because that's what we've seen. And I've experienced that. And it just kind of it felt like that a little bit to me. So, uh I just wonder. Yeah, but one thing I don't wonder about is summer vacation. I'm a teacher, like 10 days into summer vacation now. Um, and it is my most honest stance that everyone, every career should have a two-month vacation built in. It's strange to me, the idea of my job just continuing year-round, right? Like, teaching has this start and this end date. It doesn't just keep going around like we have seasons and of course most of my friends you know they aren't teachers and they don't understand this idea of stopping right the, it, it keeps going the fiscal year might end on march 31st but april 1st the new one begins and you're going it's a whole different feeling um and to me it's a strange feeling and it's one that i think that only teachers can feel or professional athletes which leads us to this episode's high take teachers are professional athletes let's think about it there's a scheduled season that they follow the season starts on this day the season ends on this day or the year the work year right for football players hockey players professional athletes training camp is the start of their work year for teachers, their work year begins on the first day of school. And at the start of those years, the teachers, the professional athletes, are given a schedule that outlines for them all of their work days. It highlights any holidays. It highlights if there are special work days. And it's all laid out there for, for them. And that's their year. And built into both of those schedules is the extended time after the year is over. The work year ends. Here's a couple of months. Go and recover mentally, physically, spiritually, and be ready to go when that first work day comes. Professional athletes do it. Teachers do it. And often during that extended time off, teachers will use it for professional development. They might take a course. They might continue a master's class. They might read a book. Athletes do the same thing. 
They go, they work with coaches. Here's a specific skill they want to work on. And they go, and they put in some work doing that. And they will study video and study the playbook. And this is how they will spend their time getting themselves ready for the next work year. Every teacher, like every professional athlete, has a different skill set. You can't just swap two teachers and be like, oh, no problem. Kindergarten or primary teachers are built completely differently than grade 12 physics teachers. There's no circumstance where you could grab a grade 12 physics teacher and a kindergarten teacher and just swap them one day and think that the kids are going to, you know, have a proper education. Like, I couldn't take Olmark and decide, nope, you know what? You're playing 1C tonight. Bergeron, in the net. Olmark, best goalie in the league last year. Bergeron, won his sixth Bergeron award. So he's pretty good. So if they're awesome, then let's just swap them and, and they're going to be fine. But of course not. Bergeron would get hurt. Olmark would get hurt. Bergeron would get scored on a dozen times. And who knows, maybe at the end of the game, when the uh, if the other team has the goalie pulled, Olmark might score. But I don't like those odds. They all specialize. They can all do different things, help in different ways. You don't ask the same things from every teacher. You don't ask the same things from every professional athlete. And of course, a really specific example of that is even the specialists. Your music teachers, your phys ed teachers, band teachers, art teachers, drama teachers, dance teachers. All of these incredible specialists. Now, I'm sure there are different names for things in lots of different places. But teachers where I live have access to coaches. If you feel like you can do better at teaching mathematics, there's a math coach who can come in and work with you. That person specializes in that one thing. And they're here. That's what they're can, they can do. And they can help you. Which I think is akin to your specialists in hockey. Now, we don't have the goons anymore, but they used to be. Right? A guy that all your job was, you were going to play four minutes... You were going to hit somebody. You were going to get in a fight. That was it. So that, again, goes to the different skill sets. Um, if you're a teacher who can't find work in your home country, U.S., Canada, you're an athlete who can't find you know work on the professional level in North America, what do you do? You go to Europe. Lots of teaching to be done in Europe. Uh, and I guess Asia would connect as well because I know there's a lot of basketball leagues there, baseball leagues. Um, so there's professional opportunities for being a professional athlete all over the world. But if you're a professional athlete uh, who still has dreams of making it to the pros in North America, you go to Europe, you go to Asia, and you work on your skills and you try to get back. And for teachers... Kind of the same thing, right? It's not always about, of course, if you're a good teacher or not. Some places there's just too many teachers and uh, not enough open teaching jobs. But you can't find work in your hometown, in your home country. What do you do? You head to Europe, you head to Asia, and there's teaching opportunities over there. And often very unique as well. Um, so again, another similarity. Injuries, illnesses. Guess who fights through them all year? Guess who doesn't want to disappoint their team? Guess who comes in when they probably shouldn't? 
teachers. Professional athletes, same thing. Warriors. That's what you call Bergeron when he has to get stitches in his face mid-game and then comes back in. That's what you call Zidane Ochara when he breaks his jaw and shows up the next night with a face mask. Like, we call them warriors. Teachers fighting through the flu, fighting through constant sickness, colds, colds on colds. That's the life of a teacher. A teacher taking a bunch of days off because they've got some sniffles would be like an athlete taking a couple days off because they got a bruise. I mean, of course you've got a bruise. You play hockey. You get smacked around. You take sticks and pucks to your body. Like, of course you are. Of course the teacher's sick. You spend your day with children. Of course you're constantly sick. But they show up. They fight it. They fight through it. And they are there for their team. Should be noted as well, there are cowardly teachers who are scared of rainbows. No group of people is perfect. Fear of rainbows isn't just for hockey players. There's also teachers who are uh, like that as well. Nobody's perfect. Both sides can prove that. Hockey players have puck bunnies. Teachers have teachers' pets. Both are underpaid and undervalued. I'm clearly running out of uh, ideas here. But uh, when I saw the vet minimums come up at around 775 right now, I... I had this weird flashback to being probably like 12 years old. And I remember looking in the newspaper, would have been the Metro Star, I think, which is a long, long gone uh, newspaper here in Halifax. And I remember looking at this list and it was the top and the bottom players' salaries. And it was just massive section in the in the sports section. Um, it was must have been the off season kind of thing. I can't remember any context around it, but I remember looking at it. I can picture myself in the kitchen, and the lowest paid players were making a hundred thousand. So since the nineties, over the last thirty years, players' salaries, the minimums have gone from a hundred thousand to three quarters of a million. I can tell you one thing, teacher salaries have not grown at that same rate. So that one doesn't really work, but I'm standing by it. This week's high take, teachers are professional athletes. If you have any uh, anything to add to my list about how uh, perfect my high take is, uh, please let me know. I'd love to add it to my list. Over the last couple of pods, I've mentioned my excitement for Lauco next season. I think he's going to show some serious, like, NHL spark plug game. Or, I hope he, you know, I think he's going to get the time. I hope he's going to kind of show that spark plug that I think he can be. Um, and, and I said, I think it was a couple episodes ago, before we signed, like, before free agency, um, I said I didn't want Lauko losing his roster spot to older vets. That was my concern. And then... Next episode is after free agency has opened and we've signed Luch and we've signed JVR and it's just a little like, hmm, okay. But I had another look at the roster. I kept thinking, I'm like, you know what? I think it's okay. I think I'm good, right? I said I wasn't worried about it. Despite having said before I was worried about Lauko losing his roster spot to older vets, now it's like we've signed some older vets who have the potential to take his roster spot. I said I wasn't worried about it. 
So I wanted to check in on that take. And this is something I'm going to try and do every pod. I want to take um, a take based on feelings. And it could be a take from, you know, the previous episode like this one. Or it could be one from a few episodes. Just to see, you know, am I still feeling that same way? Because so often I think we're not allowed to change how we're feeling about something we're allowed to say yes oh i love this signing and then you know three or four weeks later when some other things have happened to be you might be like no wait no now that these things have gone on i'm not sure i like that so kind of check in on some of those things because so often our takes are just left to sit there and we don't have to address them so uh this will force me to address some of them anyway but because i'm not as confident today as i was uh, a couple shows a couple weeks ago now the luch signing kind of is looming for me a little bit when it comes to Lauco, listening to some other outstanding and much more betterly, bigly informed uh, black and gold podcast members. Uh, they put a little doubt in my head now about Lauco's role with Luchback. Um, not to a point where I'm upset or like, oh man, Lauco's only going to get 12 games this year. That's not kind of where it is right like I am having fun with the luch signing because it's more fun to have fun with it than it is to be frustrated with it but it it is giving me that little bit of pause now right like I think Lauko's development and his potential is a little more important than Luchich's fun return but I'm making such an assumption right there right like the assumption that Montgomery is actually going to play luch if there isn't a specific role for him in a game plan or if he's not actually the best guy Luch isn't going to play 82 games Lauko's not going to play 82 games so there's a potential for a split there um so it just gives me that bit of pause I'm still confident Lauko's going to going to play a whole bunch this year I'm still confident that we're going to see him I'm just a little less confident about it. I'm maybe now my expectations tempering a little bit instead of being like, oh, I'd love to see Lauko get 60 games. Maybe now I've got to start thinking, okay, what if 45 is more likely? And um, just kind of be ready for what could happen because I have no clue what's going to go on once the uh, season uh, really gets going. And plus right now, it is the off season. So there's no point in letting the stress levels fly off the charts because there's nothing that is going to be able to help it uh, until the season starts. So I'm going to leave it for now. Uh, once training camp gets started, we'll start getting an idea of, you know, you start to see, you know, who Montgomery's playing together and the guys that are getting the uh, the bigger minutes and who's going to be a starter and whatnot. So around then I'll you know kind of check back in on this again and how I'm feeling probably have to uh, a couple of times actually so this might be one to to keep track of because there's a lot of unknown and that's why I think uh, we need to check in on some of our takes next time so hopefully next time my confidence will be up not down but say lovey that's how I'm feeling so that's what I'm uh, that's what I'm sticking with all right so a few things to talk out or a couple things anyway um i got a question from my boy dk make sure you check out his podcast with bill church that you can find uh bill on twitter at billy underscore moonshine and uh you know dk as at dk scores goals i cannot confirm that he scores goals that's just what he puts on his 
you know, for his Twitter handle. That's on him. Don't don't come to me if you discover that he doesn't score goals. That's that's not. I'm not making a claim. I'm just giving you his Twitter handle. Uh, they got a dope, uh, actually, podcast, Broad Street to Boston Hockey Podcast, um, and you could find the Broad Street to Boston podcast on Twitter as well at b r o a d s t the number two Boston. Uh, and I love the question because it kind of ties into something that I was going to talk about anyway, which is, you know, the young prospects and some expectations that fans have for them. So DK's question uh, was, what young guys do you think have the best chance to make the starting roster for game one? Now, the truth is, of course, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if any of these young guys are going to make uh, that opening night roster. I can get only so much from watching the outstanding videos that uh, people were posting from the development camp. There's only so much I can get from those, right? They're little snippets of things and a lot of stuff that looks awesome. But without seeing the full camps and not to mention a lot of other stuff, uh, would I really be ready to to have real insight into that? Um, But the thing about it is, and why I love the question, is because for me, I'm always going to want to look at things like Eddie Vedder said inhale hail I don't want to think I want to feel so instead of thinking I prefer to hope I hope Lauko cracks the opening night roster I've been pretty clear about that I'm confident enough to I think he will that's like my hope is has that confidence but I don't know so it does remain you know it's a hopeful kind of thing um but I don't think Lauko is kind of, you know, the young guy. He's not young enough of a young guy uh, for who to be who uh, DK was talking about. So if we're talking about Lizelle, Lorai, Beecher, Merkulov, Poitras got a lot of uh, a lot of love this uh, development camp. Um, I'd love to see one of them make a run at being at making the team from day one. Right, like see one of them, or maybe more than one of them, make it difficult for the team to send them back down. I always love those stories, right? That push is is exciting. It also it brings a guy a little kind of you know pushes them up front a little bit, kind of puts a you know half a spotlight on them, so you start getting an idea. So when you see them sometime in the year, because I do think we're gonna see almost many of these guys anyway i definitely can't say all of them we're gonna see all kinds of them this year so it's gonna be nice to get that and if they're getting if one of them pushes or a couple of them push at the start of the year with during the training camp we're gonna already know them a bit because they're gonna get a lot of coverage and we're gonna get a lot of videos of them and and that's exciting to me. So I hope that we uh, get to see a lot of them. I hope we get to see a lot of them a bunch, not just, you know, one game or two games kind of thing. But I don't have expectations for any of these guys to start the season. I believe it can happen. I'd love for it to happen. I hope it happens. But I don't have the expectation right now, At you know, early June in the off season. And this kind of brings me around to... Um, tying into what DK was asking and for me it's there's a lot of fans with a lot of expectations on Lorai, Lizelle, uh, Poitras. I know we need a center and I know he's a center but there's almost no world like there's very little you're talking minuscule chance that he actually can make a push to make 
the team this year. I think it's awesome he looked so good in the development camp. That's fantastic. That's great news because we all know that maybe our, you know, young players and our prospects aren't as bad as some would want you to believe. There's not really any blue chip players either, so we can be honest about that. But I think there's a lot of fans who seem to have the expectation that Lorai Lizel especially, that it's like sink or swim for them now. You got to play him. We got to see. And I think that's a short-sighted way to look at things. I also think that it's an underestimation of just what NHL-level hockey is. These guys will play and will get their chance when they are ready. If you bring them up when they're not ready, there's very little good that can happen. NHL-level hockey is unfathomable to most of us. Right, If you took somebody who had never in their life seen or watched or had any whatever of hockey and you brought them to uh, NCAA Frozen Four, you brought them to uh, the Memorial Cup with the, uh, the juniors in Canada, the CHL, they would watch that and their head would be blown like, this is incredible. There's no way this sport gets any better. And then you're going to bring them to an AHL game. And they're going to be like, holy cow, you mean it gets faster? You mean the players get bigger? You mean they hit harder? You mean the shots explode even more? Wow. And then you're like, hold on. And you bring them to an NHL game. Again, that jump from the AHL to the NHL is, is palpable. You can't fake that. If a guy's not ready, a guy's not ready. And bringing him up just because he was an early pick makes absolutely no sense. If they're never ready, they're never ready. I don't want to see them if they're not ready. And if they don't get ready, well then, let's find out why, right? Did we do a poor job developing? Or were they maybe not actually worthy of where they were taken at the draft? And then we can address those things. But I don't want to see them in a Bruins uniform unless they're actually ready now if you want to hear really great stuff about this listen to the short shift podcast um andrew was there at the development camp and he had a lot of awesome stuff to say um and the one thing that i'll tell you that because it fits into this so beautifully is he said like lori that's the guy who looks ready and that's exciting for me poitras he's not making the team or if he does, it's going to, you know, be something there's no way for me to see coming. So I'll just enjoy the surprise and be into it. I'll take the hit on the take. That's fine. But Lorai sounds like he might be ready. That's exciting. Because, again, I'd love to see even just one of these guys really make a push. Um, so we're going to see what happens. Anyway, I got a lot of hope, DK. I don't know if I have a lot of think. But uh, we're going to see how it all plays out. And from a couple of wonderful hockey fans. I, Billy, I wouldn't call you a Bruins fan. Don't worry, I wouldn't do that to you. Um, going to talk a little bit about more toxic fans, angry fans, trolls. Um, and I'm not here to do or say anything of any personal nature to any one person. But I also don't see any need to be cryptic. And most fans, and if you're listening, odds are you know uh, these gentlemen as well. There's at Bruins Wyan at Sweeney Sucks, and at Bruins O. Um, the three of them are very angry, at Don Sweeney especially, but then extra angry at fans who aren't 
really angry at Don Sweeney. And they wear it on their sleeve, and that's fine. I'm not here to slander them. I'm not here to dump on anyone. I'm not here to make anything personal. I don't know any of them. All I can speak to is what they do and say on Twitter and the role of them as fans, right? I don't have the time or energy for anything personal, right? I'm just here to talk fans and fandom and Bruins and these three guys. And I feel safe assuming that they're dudes as it just seems where the odds are. Um, but the three of them are very active and well-known fans on Bruins Twitter. A lot of people have had interactions with them. Um, oftentimes, of course, very confrontational, uh, a lot of blocking, all of that going on. I haven't blocked anybody uh, yet. I mute more often because then every once in a while I can kind of make a choice to see kind of what someone's saying and maybe there's a different take. Who knows? But these guys, they're not unique, right? They're, they're a fan archetype. They're the toxic fan. They're the angrier than angry fan, the angry troll fan. It's not unique roles, right? These are, these three gents, they're, they're not unicorns. And their takes aren't unique. Screaming and yelling about the general manager or a coach or whoever it is that you have chosen to be furious at and attacking fans for not yelling along with you, these fans have been around forever. Of course, these fans have uh, much bigger platforms now than they ever did. And so that's a part of all of this, right? It's a part of our fandom now is having um, this archetype of fan be around us and be loud and be hard to ignore, right? And there are so many kinds of fans, right? This is just one kind of fan. There's lots of anxious fans. There's the perpetually positive fans. There are pragmatic fans or fans who are pragmatic adjacent. Maybe they have a hard time being, you know, honest and pragmatic about a couple of things. You know, like they're they're very they're honest about their team, but uh, they can't be honest about the Maple Leafs or something like that. Like that sounds like someone I know. You know, there are fair weather fans, um, a lot of which I think are toxic fans, but a lot of fair weather fans aren't. They're just people who don't have a lot of fun watching the team when they're losing so they don't really but then when the team's doing well they tune in and they watch because it's more fun watching your team win that's how they do it I can't you know I can't fault them you know they don't make a big deal of it they're not angry about it that's just what they prefer to watch lots of casual fans the wannabe GMs and so on and so on like it takes all kinds and lots of us are crossovers or hybrids as well so there's a lot of fans out there and these guys are just one of these kinds of fans. And I find that the toxic fans, like, they'll call anyone who isn't just perpetually angry a homer. And a home, being a homer, of course, is some pejorative phrase that or word that means absolutely nothing. Like, every fan's a homer. That's the fucking point of being a fan. I cheer for my team. I want my team to do well. But then, because I won't get furiously angry and throw things and scream and yell at every fan that seems to mean that I'm okay with losing nope not not really how it works um I'm pretty sure in fact I know I was a toxic fan um and I think about when I was like 11 or 12 I wrote this profanity laced letter to the Bruins franchise calling for Rick Bonus to be fired and I mean fired by firing squad Bonus is like a, he's from Moncton. That's my people. That's, that's Maritimers. Um, and he, but he only coached the one year in Boston. And guess what? 
He led them to the Wales Conference Championship. And if it weren't for fucking Lemieux, see, if we had Marchand on that team... Anyway. Um, <laughs> in that playoff, on the way to the Wales Conference Championship, the Bruins swept Montreal for the first time ever in the playoffs. And that's insane. Younger fans, that's one thing I wish that... Uh, I think of, I think of, uh, I wish younger fans could, uh, could have experienced was like the nineties, the eighties and the nineties and everything with Montreal and that rivalry and how brutal they were to us in the playoffs. And there was no shaking it. It reminds me very much of Boston and Toronto right now, which is why the more Boston embarrasses and keeps beating Toronto in the playoffs, the more I keep waiting and waiting because it happens, right? It comes at some point. It, the pendulum has to go the other way, even just a little bit. Anyway, uh, I always really enjoy that. But like, and I was a tween. I'm 11 or 12. I, I, my brain wasn't, you know, taking in any of that. My brain didn't care that we got to the Wales Conference Championship. My brain didn't like none of that was mattering. I had chosen my target. I wrote this ridiculous, stupid letter, um, and that was how I was feeling it at the time. Which makes me happy now, of course, that the we didn't have social media back then. Because I'd have been a, one of those toxic fans. And I worry that being on social media where I would have been able to find other toxic fans to toxic fan with would have kept me there a lot longer as well. Um, and Because I, I think like social media paints people into corners a lot. I think it it forces us to take on some sort of archetypal role. Like we're, we're not allowed to have nuance. We're not allowed to... Uh, be able to think of things in more than one way we have to have this is our opinion and it's it's a laser focused thing it does not have any uh no nuance to it i'll just keep using that word because my purple dream is not letting me think of any other words and i think in turn it devours all the nuance all the nuance from our discourse and the way we talk to each other so it's that like 11 or 12 year old Jay that I think about the Jay that's writing ridiculous, angry letters to the Bruins over a coach who didn't exactly fail at his job. That's what I think about when I see these toxic fans just trying to go so scorched earth all over their socials, right? I just think of angry tweens who haven't figured out or, or learned how to deal with their anger, right? But I don't think any of these guys are tweens. None of them come off to me as children. I mean, maybe they are. And if they are, well, then good for you. Like, you know, fooling people about your age. That's uh, what I was able to do when I was like 16 going through the liquor store. So, you know, good on you. But I'm still pretty sure they're more adults. But they just hop into any thread, any tweet. And they just scream and yell and laugh negativity at anyone who isn't screaming negativity you'll see them especially if uh when when the bruins post something and you'll just have people you know putting comments in and they just target any anything positive they're gonna come in and try and just devour you with their negativity and their anger and that's how they do it which leads to of course a lot of people the block is there for a reason the mute is there for a reason hopefully you know if uh if you're not wanting to interact with gentlemen like that, you know, use those if you need to. Like, don't let anybody drag you down from how you're trying to fandom. They're fandoming how they want to, and they're doing it all over you. So you fandom how you want to. 
Don't let anybody drag you down, all right? Be like One Direction. Yeah, that's right. One Direction. So I had an interaction with Bruins O um, on after commenting on a Bruins post, and I tried to engage him, right, to try and get him out of his posts having that trolling, angry nature, right? I was trying to speak to a person. I didn't get it done. Okay, and I've spoken before about wanting to engage these fans and not attack them. But I did attempt to do what I say and not what I do. So anyway, I wanted to share it with you. So I wanted to unpack it a bit and share the interaction because it's a type of fan that you can choose not to interact with. You can choose to mute or block and not let it get into you and affect how you feel about being a fan. Because you will get dragged into that angry darkness. So anyway, it was just the Bruins' uh, little recap post uh, with showing that they had signed Brown, Geeky, Luch, Shattenkirk, and JVR. And I, I went in and I posted, Look beyond these five. Look beyond the 23-24 season. Understand that Sweeney isn't all in this year. He's setting the Bruins up to be players next offseason with tens of millions in cap space. Deep breaths, Bruins fans. Nothing to it. That's just all I said because that's what I look at when I see these guys and I look at our position. That's how I feel. So Bruins O hopped in and he said, Their farm system is trash and has been every year under Donnie. They'll still have limited draft capital for the next two years. The idea that everything will be fine once Sweeney can start spending again. He just spent $27 million on Forbert, Riley, John Moore, and Felino. I'd temper expectations. So the thing that I wanted to note from that one is that I didn't say everything would be fine. I didn't have any expectations to temper. I said, this is what he's doing. I didn't say, oh, it's fine. Sweeney's coming to the rescue next year. I just said, this is what he's doing. Because I agree 100% with Bruins O when we want to talk about Forbert and Riley and more. Not as much with Felino. The contract isn't great. But if he hadn't been hurt, I think his leadership and stuff it, it would have felt a little more worth it. But I understand if you're uh, not a fan of the Felino one, that one doesn't bug me as much as Forbert, Riley, and more uh, do. But again, I didn't say, hey, Sweeney's the best guy in the world on free agency. So I replied and I said, hey, I make no promises about it working out, but this is the plan. And it's a plan that makes sense. Now he has to get it right. So let's criticize that after it happens. Right, So I'm making that point that I wasn't putting any kinds of great expectations on this. Right, This is just what he's doing. And you can see it. And he and Bruins O replied. He said, it's not a plan. That's Don Sweeney apologist talk. Instead, they've been forced into this spot because of Sweeney's ineptitude. This spin that it's a good plan and Sweeney is being shrewd. Give me an effing break. No choice. Why? Crap farm system. No draft capital. Cap prison. So it is a plan, and it's a plan that many teams are using. There were a lot of one- and two-year term contracts this year for a reason. And that reason is the cap jump that is coming over the next two years. And Sweeney knows the contracts on the books that are up after this year. Like, I worry that these fans honestly think 
that Sweeney just shows up in the morning for work every day and has to figure out, okay, what am I doing today? No, he works with people. He has a team. Of course they have a plan. If you don't agree with the plan, say that. But you can't pretend there's no plan when you can look at, like, it's not hard to decipher what he's done this offseason. If you want to complain about why he had to do what he did this offseason, then let's talk about that. But you're not trying to have a serious conversation if you're trying to argue that there is no plan. And it's for Sweeney being forced into the spot. Every GM is forced into every spot because every GM is forced into every spot by the choices they make. This is how it works. It's just part of being a GM. Uh, Also, I didn't say it was a good plan and I didn't say Sweeney was being shrewd. I said it's the plan. Doesn't mean, uh, doesn't mean I said it was a good plan. Again, let's be honest. So I replied, I said, it's a plan or the plan. It's not about being a good plan. It's what's left. If we'd won the cup, we would be in pretty much exactly the same spot. Possibly the exact same spot. But it would have been worth it. Taking the chance was worth it. That's all a GM can do. And I put a shrug emoji. And Bruins O replied, You still suck in Sweeney apologist speak. There was and is no plan, because a plan would require coming up with a plan. They're being forced into unrestricted, or UFA chodes, hashtag no plan. NHL's worst draft capital farm system and cap. And this, if they won the cup nonsense, they didn't, next fantasy. Though I still haven't apologized for Sweeney. And whether Bruinzo wants to admit it or not, being honest about the conversation and being honest about the Bruins involves being honest about if they had won the cup. Because that logic, that reasoning, is where Sweeney's decisions were coming from. So you're taking his motivation away and saying we're not allowed to talk about the GM's motivation in the decisions he made. Again, this is not being honest. So I replied, I said, "Could you, it could be said you're stuck in Sweeney hater speak. The plan was to win the cup, then deal with this. We didn't win the cup, but we still have to deal with this. So instead of overreacting to the loss, Sweeney is setting the team up for the coming year's free agency. Again, shrug emoji. And he replied, more of your Sweeney ball washing. He's setting up the team. Laugh emoji, laugh emoji. Homer, they have no cap space, no draft capital, crap farm system. He set them up for a shit year. There was and is no plan. And instead of Bergeron and Krejci bailing him out, he has to wait for the 24-25 cap to do it. There's also a number of contracts coming off the books that are a big part of the reason we're going to have so much space, but we're, uh, we're ignoring that part of why next year uh, the Bruins have so much space. Setting up the team, apparently him you know, deciding to not put a bunch of contracts on the books for next year, which is clearly part of his plan, is not actually doing his job. I don't know what else he was supposed to do, but 
you know, he's in the situation he's in and he has his plan. And again, there is and was no plan. We're not being honest. He also replied to uh, that one by saying, no, I'm stuck in results speak. You're stuck in ball washing Sweeney and ignoring reality. He added facts. Seven of eight years failed to win more than one playoff round. Four of eight years did not qualify or a first round loss. NHL's worst draft capital farm system cap situation that was caused by eight years of Sweeney. Hashtag facts. So results speak means the only situation under which you can be happy as a fan is if your team wins the championship every single year. Like, that's the only way for you to be happy. If results are all that matter, if results is the only thing that you get out of being a fan then that's a hard life because for most teams, losing is like 99% of what they do. There are people who are fans of teams who will never see their team win a championship in their lifetime. And you want to complain about the Bruins being in the playoffs all the time and competing. Personally, that doesn't seem like any way to enjoy being a fan. So I said... Caused by chasing the cup. It didn't work. And this current situation blows. But would... Ah, and then I posed a question. I said, but you'd have been happier just being a middling team for the last five seasons instead of a team that was one win away from a cup and had the greatest regular season in NHL history. Honest question. And he replies, Homer, how did going all in last year cause this? Boston has the fewest games played by NHL draftees since 2017. The leaders are Studnika, 38 games, and on defense, Vaca Crapo, that's his word, not mine, 45 games. How did going all in last year affect draft draft years 2017 to 22 again? Spoiler alert, it didn't. So, he did not in any way, shape, or form address even part of my question didn't even sniff it ignored it completely but decided to go and just yell about a bunch of other stuff so at that point I was like okay if you're like I'm trying to ask you an honest question get an honest answer out of you if you're going to ignore it and just you know just keep yelling about the balls your obsession with Sweeney's balls and the washing of them I just replied I said cool you take care now And he replied, cool, keep sucking up to Sweeney. While you excuse away the terrible state of the organization and nothing but playoff chokes, clearly getting sad likes from homers matters to you more than the truth or the playoff results. Seven of eight years failed to win more than one playoff round. And he continued, you didn't respond to the 2017-22 draft fails. And uh, I'll remind you that he didn't respond about my question either uh he added where he drafted no d-man that's still in the organization that has played any nhl game since 2017 the forward leader right now lauko 23 games as you can't blame last year's all in for it zero surprise you didn't 2017 was six years ago by the way thank you i teach first grade so i can do the math on that one um again i don't know he's got some cherry picked things that he believes solidify in fucking cement his arguments and that's fine 
I've been watching a Bruins team that's been a constant threat, a constantly good team, consistently winning, if not winning, titles. Guess what? That's generally what teams do, is win games but not win championships. It's just a part of being a fan. So, anyway, I, I left it there. I wasn't replying to that, right? But then a little bit later, another day or so later, Ty Anderson... Uh, had received a question from somebody asking why they couldn't trade Allmark to free up money for Bertuzzi. Um, I, and it included a quote, I think it was something about Felger, um, saying it's completely asinine to pay two number one goalies with all the other holes that they have. Felger, of course, is really good at sports radio. Um, but anyway, Ty said it was, well, beyond the no-trade clause obstacles. Allmark is worth more than a cap-dump giveaway and worth more wins to the Bruins over 82 games than Bertuzzi. Where's that hashtag facts now? I think it's really that simple. People are letting a seven-game sample size get in the way of logical thinking with this debate. And I agree fully. So I replied to Ty, I said, having two number one goalies is actually ideal for the state of the Bruins next season. With the holes in the roster and the roster not as strong as it was last year, accepting goal, weakening the goaltending isn't actually a wise idea with the current state of the team. So I'm just saying, we, like, we, next year is going to happen. This is the Bruins roster. To me, it makes sense to have the two goalies. And of course, I'm the goalie guy, so I'm always sticking up for the goalies anyway. So there's my wonderful, lovely bias in there always. But as a goalie believer, it's something I believe. Having the two ones is actually a good situation for next year. So Bruins decided to hop back in. And he said, so your homer take on the Bruins being unable to move Omerk or any other player because Sweeney would have to give them away for nothing like he did Hall, which he admitted himself, is that he's doing a great job again. Laugh emoji. More Sweeney ball washing out of you. Shocking. So to be clear, there's assumptions in here, right? Sweeney was Bruins being unable to move Omar or any other player. We don't know who they were trying to move. We don't know what options they had. So even saying unable to move... How do you know they tried to move him? How do you know they tried hard? How do you know there was any market? How do you know there was a market for him that was actually worth taking? Like, he wasn't going to dump Linus Olmark, the Vesna Trophy winner, for absolutely nothing. To, to sign Todd Bertuzzi? No. I've said this before. Bertuzzi is not McDavid. He's not Dreisaitl. He's not Austin Matthews. You don't drop the Vesna Trophy winner for Todd Bertuzzi. And pointing out that Sweeney admitted he gave Hall away for nothing. Well, no shit. It was a literal... It was a salary dump. Nobody has, has said otherwise. So I'm not sure why we have to point that out. But when you don't have a lot of actual... You know, things you got to pull out what you got, I guess. So I just replied because I really, I wasn't wanting to get into it much, but I couldn't help myself. I said, I'm just out here talking some Bruins. I'm sorry my takes don't align with yours. Take a breath, man. And he replied in kind, Don Sweeney's number one ball washer and apologist. Which I'm still thinking about making an account 
Twitter account with that name because that just that'd be something. And he continued. He said, "You don't have any Bruins takes." So this is where I started to think that O Bruins or Bruins O, sorry, is Rod Brendamore because Rod Brendamore's team lost four straight games to start a series yet wasn't swept so that might be me i talk all day about the bruins and yet i don't have any takes on them all you do he said is bruins ball wash and spin all of you sweeney's terrible moves while you dismiss his actual results ad nauseum and you think i'd take any advice from you about anything man here's some advice wake up so I've held off saying this, but there's un there's, there's no this is if you've ever argued with Donald Trump supporters online, this is exactly what it's like. Nevertheless, I persisted. I said hockey is entertainment, Twitter is entertainment. I can't actually fire Sweeney. I'm not Jay Jacobs. If all this makes you that mad, I'm not sure what you're getting out of it. Shrug just being as honest as i can be to a fan man like if if this is what sports fandom is for you i don't know what you're getting out of it i really don't anyway he replied you think being a dishonest ball washing bruins homer and don sweeney apologist where you openly lie about the state of the organization repeatedly as you falsely spin every terrible move don sweeney and the team makes as positive is entertainment keep telling yourself that well i mean it would literal I'm, I'm post like it's literal entertainment what else is it supposed to be i'm a guy doing a podcast i'm a guy tweeting i'm not i don't work for the bruins i don't work for the nhl this is what i like to do in my spare time this is literal entertainment i what else do you want me to call it if you think that i have some influence or something clearly you haven't followed me that well and not a single thing i've done is spend anything as some positive like it's just you see if it's not angry it's happy and that's it's hard to uh to deal with but he continued he said only jacobs can fire sweeney stop trying to hide behind any of that crap homer you can be honest about the state of the team you can be honest about don sweeney instead you choose to be disingenuous about the state of the team while you ball wash and praise sweeney's crap moves this guy and soapy balls um it's not really hiding behind it's trying to get you to you know stop yelling because i can't actually do anything about it uh perpetual anger is not being honest about the state of the team perpetual anger is not being honest about don sweeney it's just being angry it's no better than just being happy all the time i don't disagree with that and nothing i've done and nothing i've tweeted and nothing i've said has been happy-go-lucky I am not a perpetually positive fan. So I replied, You may be taking this thing we watch on TV for fun a little too seriously. Believe it or not, if the Bruins win or lose, my life keeps on trucking. Losing is 99% of what every franchise does. And I hope when we win, you actually enjoy it and don't just find the negative in a W. So he replied, Stop with your $2 psychoanalytics. I dislike homers like you who do nothing but stoke the fire of the Bruins' delusional fan base. There's one thing the Bruins' fan base is, it's delusional, but it's delusional about Sonny D and Taylor Swift more than anything else. Um, he continued with the constant lies and BS about the team while you continue to praise Sweeney and absolve him of blame. 
I haven't done any of that. He said, maybe you're taking your ball washing too far. First of all, PSA, gentlemen, you can never take your ball washing too far. Or ladies, or they, them, whoever, if you got balls, wash them, wash them well. So it's nice to know that I'm disliked. Anyway, I was done. But good old Rory O'Brien at Irish underscore intellect. Good lad. Hopped in and he said, take it easy, man. Jesus. So Bruinzo responded to Rory. Block or unfollow, Sweeney apologist. Stop telling everyone what to do. 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 He continued, but your parents probably never told you no and gave you a bunch of gold medals for coming in last place as a kid at every sport you played. So there's that to consider. Just like Rory didn't mention Sweeney. He didn't mention hockey. He just said, like, let's take a breath, man. And uh, he got called the Sweeney apologist. So Rory replied with a funny little meme saying, you've been awarded one yike. I would have given probably a few more, but one's a good start. Uh, and he responded, you have been awarded nothing troll, anything on hockey or the Bruins yet, or more gifts like a six-year-old while you prove you're nothing but a sad Homer and Sweeney apologist. Go away, toddler. The adults are talking hockey. Go away, toddler. The adults are talking hockey. Are they? Are they? Try not to choke on my Bruins truths, sad homers. Rory, being wise as he is, saw his uh, time was done and he said, feel better. And that was the last we heard from Rory, smartly. And Bruins, I had one more thing to say. He said, maybe you guys would feel better if you stopped sucking each other off while you both deny every Bruins truth out there. Instead of being sad homers who lie to themselves and absolve Sweeney of blame. Feel better, laugh emoji. I hope you think for yourself one day. There's some real advice, laugh emoji. No, you, this, this, this sort of fan doesn't want you to think for yourself. The angry toxic fan wants you to think like them. It's not think for yourself, it's think like me. And I must say, two people sucking each other off while they deny the Bruins' truths is about as specific a kink as uh, I've ever heard of, but you do you. Honestly, if you've ever argued with a Trump supporter or a Trump-supporting bot on Twitter, this is exactly what it's like. That's not to say that Bruins O is a Trump supporter. It's not to say that if Bruins O is a Trump supporter, that's a bad thing. It's to say this is how Trump supporters argue. And I don't call it trolling because... And so toxic fans, they've learned because this is a very, very effective way of being a toxic fan or a toxic person. Arguing with just like this, just to make people as mad as you can, to focus 100% solely, solely on the things that are making you angry and the desire to make everyone as angry as you under the guise of think for yourself when it's just be angry like me, please. Soul Asylum said it. Misery loves company. Don't, uh, don't be company to the misery, my friends. So I unpacked that kind of as I 
as I went. And the point of that exercise was to just spare you a little bit. Like, you don't have to engage with toxic fans. If you're the kind of person who can just ignore, then do that. If you're the kind of person who wants to mute or block, do that. But these guys aren't looking for conversations. They don't want to hash things out. They don't want to find a middle ground. They have no, no expectation, no desire for any actual conversation with a Bruins fan. They just want to be as mad as they can be. They want to make you as mad as they can make you. And they just boil themselves or simmer themselves or sous vide themselves in their anger. So use me as this example and say, you know what? Nah, nah, nah. I'm not responding to this. I saw what Jay did. It didn't work. Now, if you have another idea, you could take it from another angle. Man, let me know. I'd love to know what worked. But uh, but the reality is, is toxic fans are fans and they're always going to be around. There's always going to be these angry fans. Fans They've been around since the beginning of fans. So, so we got to live with them. But that doesn't mean uh, we have to deal with them. Do what you need to do to keep your fandom where you want it. If you want to fall into that wallowing misery, it's there for you. And these guys will show you the way. But if you don't want to, you can be an honest Bruins fan without being an angry, toxic Bruins fan, y'all. All right. That's going to do for this episode of The Baked Bear. I have been Jay Pike. You can find me on Twitter at my underscore Bruins, on threads at my underscore Bruins underscore the podcast itself, on Twitter or threads at The Baked Bear Pod. Uh, And don't be afraid to leave a rating and a review and follow and subscribe and like and love and do all those things everywhere you get your favorite podcasts. Later, taters. Go peace. Baked Bear. It's episode 12. What a time to be alive.